subscribe to this podcast to get exclusive access to the after show shooting the breeze so today we have leo martin from the uh jenny interpretive center of plymouth massachusetts and he is the author of pilgrim pursuit of happiness uh as well as runs the the tours and stuff that come out of out of that uh, interpretive center so Leo, why don't you start by uh, telling us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about what you do. Yeah, again, my name is Leo Martin. I've been do- doing tours here in Plymouth, uh, telling the history of our country for 21 years now. And uh, for the first 10 years, my wife and I ran the Jenny Grist Mill, which is the site of the oldest mill in the United States. And then we came up here to this building where we've, uh, we've been telling the history, the Pilgrim story uh, ever since. And you ended up writing the book, Pilgrim Pursuit of Happiness. Um, so tell us a little bit about this book uh, and what inspired you to write it, uh, what, what's in the book as well. Uh, well, okay, I am not an author. I'm a speaker. Uh, I'm a storyteller. And people have been pressuring me to write books uh, ever since I began doing this. <coughs> Excuse me. And I got a call, a call uh, from Mercury One uh, uh, Nonprofit uh, out of Utah, uh, and they wanted me to speak there uh, on the 4th of July in 2013 on the Pilgrims. It was a fundraiser for the Oklahoma uh, City tornado victims. So what happened is they asked me to go out there and speak at this conference, uh, but I wouldn't get paid because all the money I made was going to go to Oklahoma. Uh, so they said to my wife, just, uh, just have them bring his book, that he'll sell the book, he'll make enough money for you both to come. And my wife said, fine, he'll be there, we'll both be there. She hung up and she said to me, you might want to write a book. I didn't have a book. I wrote the book in two months. And the first time I saw the book is when I got to Salt Lake City, I was signing a book I wrote that I had never seen before. Uh, so it was kind of a pressure thing, you know, if you have to do something, you should have a deadline. I had a deadline. <laughs> And I got the book completed. Uh, but what it is about is five liberties the pilgrims were pursuing when they came here. And, and it's kind of interesting because the, the liberties kind of overlap. Uh, we've got uh, spiritual liberty and religious liberty. And people say to me all the time, what's the difference? Spiritual liberty is inside you. It's a change in the inside. Uh, I guess if you want to look at it, holistically what it would be is that, that someone became a Christian and changed from the inside and changed their values. Religious liberty is external. That can be taken away from you. You can't take away my spiritual liberty. I own that. That's inside me. And what happened with the pilgrims was King James back in England was trying to take away their religious liberty. He didn't want them to worship the way they wanted to, but he wanted them to worship him as if he were God. And uh, and so they, they refused to do that. But King James could take that religious liberty away from them because it was external. Yeah. That he could never take the internal spiritual liberty away from them because they owned that. Uh, so what that caused them to do is get to Holland where they could worship freely. Now they uh, eliminated the idea of losing their external religious liberty. Now to talk about uh, political and constitutional liberties and people say well aren't they also the same not really uh political is what the pilgrims did is they set a uh, a political system of uh self-government civil government where the people were in charge not the king back in england at that time the power structure went from uh god to the king to the people because uh, the king uh 
thinking he was God's representative on earth, eventually he thinks he's God on earth, and asked, and they, he needed to be worshipped. They needed to worship him, not God or Jesus, who they uh, believe there was God, as I do. And so they, they needed to worship him, but Pilgrim said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to leave the church, separate them from the church, and we're going to have civil liberty where we're going to have Jesus Christ as king, uh, but we are in charge. In other words, we elect him. So now the power structure changed when they came here and wrote the Mayflower Compact. The power structure changed from God to the people to the king. See, now the leader is responsible to the people. In other words, he serves the people. Mm-hmm. People don't serve him. And so that changed the whole power structure. But of course, with that comes a huge responsibility. And that responsibility is to put people in office who have character, integrity, and virtue. And if we do not do that, civil government breaks down. Uh, so that's the, the thing. That was our political government. And what's constitutional? You write it down. The Constitution of the United States is written down. So if you want to talk about it, if you want to question it, there it is right there. Read it. It's right laid out for you. Of course, today people try to change it or change, change the meaning of it. Or, or, or reinvent the words that, but it's written down to see that. See, when the pilgrims came here, they had no, uh, they had no law to be here because they landed in the wrong place. So they wrote the Mayflower Compact, which was their law, but it was written down for everybody to see. So if you're going to question at all the way we're going to run things, read the Mayflower Compact, and that's what we're going to do. Which, by the way, was a covenant with God that would run a body politic with God in charge. So that's the Mayflower Compact. It's written down. We signed a peace treaty with the Indians that lasted 55 years. The longest lasting peace treaty with the Indians in our country's history. And it was written down. You could see it. These were the six points. If follow these six points, this is the peace treaty. So there was no question about it. So that's what constitutional liberty is compared to political liberty. And then we also... Uh, in the book, wrote about economic liberty. When I talk about a covenant with God, everything comes under that covenant, including the economics. And people say to me, well, if they came here for spiritual reasons, they certainly couldn't have come for economic reasons, so they don't mix. Not true. Economics is mentioned more in the Bible than any other subject. And <laughs> yes. so if you want to learn, yeah, if you want to learn economic system, read the Bible. And you will learn how to behave economically. And, and it was very important to them. When they came here, their, their economic system, system was, uh, was communal. Uh, they were forced into a communal situation by the guy financing the trip. Well, three years into the event, they knew it wouldn't work. And Governor Brad to change to land ownership. So now every family owned their own land, grew their own food, and fed themselves. Then they traded with each other what they had left over. We call that free trade. That worked. They never had a starving day after that, and they tripled their production. So what they did is they went from a communal existence where somebody else is in charge to an existence where they could produce for themselves. And whatever they produced for themselves, they owned. They owned it on that piece of land that was lent to them by God. So their job was to produce as much as they could on that piece of land to honor God. But here's the good news. God only wanted 10% back. Government wants 30. You know, so they had this system where they, they honored God and, and they looked at work, land ownership, as worship. 
they worshiped God by doing the best they could with that piece of land God gave to them uh, and to produce and to help other people and to support their families. And this is very important. See, we in Plymouth are, are known as being frugal. That means we don't like to spend a lot of money for two reasons. We want to help other people and we want to support our families. Of course, everybody outside of New England doesn't call us frugal, they call us cheap. But nonetheless, we didn't spend a lot of money and we had no debt. And that was so important because once you get into debt, if you look at the Bible, now you're a slave to debt. So the pilgrims were very conscious of that and they wouldn't let that happen. So when we talk about the economy of the pilgrims, like I said, my wife and I ran the gross mill for 10 years, the oldest mill in the country. I ground 100 pounds of corn every week in that mill. Wow. And uh, by the way, that took 20 minutes. The thing was capable of grinding 2,500 pounds a day, strictly using water power. But that changed the lives of the pilgrims because now this guy, John Jenny, who built the mill, he could produce as much brown corn as anybody needed. People before that were grinding with a mortar and pestle. It would take all day to grind dinner. 2,500 pounds a day, it changed the whole system. But now John Jenny, who was out there owning his own land and trying to produce, he said, I'll build a mill for everybody. But now he, he can't produce because he's grinding corn for everybody else. So he had to be paid. And he was. John Jenny is the first person in the country to be paid for a service. Capitalism in our country began in that Christmas. John Jenny was paid in corn, not money. Money had no value in Plymouth. What are you going to do with money? Everybody had to eat. The corn was the money. So he became a very wealthy man, the first entrepreneur in our country. But <clears throat> those are the five liberties the pilgrims were pursuing all surrounded in prayer. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it's very interesting how God works so much throughout history. And we see that with the foundation of America um, and, and how much God was at work in all that. Uh, so seems to me like faith drove them uh, and their belief in God. Uh, and how do we as a society get back to that? Because we seem to have gone so far away from that when that's what we were founded on. Yeah, we, we've drifted. Uh, see, when the pilgrims were in England and they separated from the church because they didn't want to worship King James and they had church in their homes, they wrote a covenant called the Scrooby Covenant where they would honor one another, love one another, and, and be totally committed to one another under God's leadership. And now, this is very important. They're totally committed to this. Now, here's the thing. If you lived in England at the time, the law said you had to belong to King James's church. And if you didn't, you were breaking the law. But in this church, the Scooby Covenant, it was your choice to belong. You didn't have to belong. But if you're going to belong to the church, follow the rules. It's that simple. Uh, it doesn't mean we're legalistic. It, doesn't mean, it just means this is the way we set it up, bottle it. But you don't have to be here. You can go away. And so they set this thing up, and it was such a strong covenant. These people followed it to the letter, to the point where they left Holland after 12 years and came here, where they worked the Mayflower Compact to start this whole new life based on biblical law, with the Mayflower Compact as another covenant. So now, as long as we stay under that covenant, we're okay because we have God in his place. But once we remove ourselves from the covenant and we take God off his throne, then we're going to leave a void. And that void's going to be filled. And it's not, it's not going to be pretty. Today is 
the pandemic for a couple of years. And, uh, and, and the government starts telling us what to do. Now, the government will tell you you can go to Home Depot and, and do whatever you want. You can go to Walmart. You can go to the liquor store, but you can't go to church. Now, what they're doing is they're taking church out of the picture, making God out of the picture. And now we can't even get together to worship because the government's telling you that. And so we're removing God from the picture. Now, <clears throat> when that happens, again, there's a void. Now, what's going to fill the void today? The state. The state's going to want you to worship it. So now, once they eliminate God with the pandemic and other things they do, they fill the void with the state. And now you've gone from a system of economics and politics where the people are in charge. We can produce as much as we can uh, with our own hands and trade evenly to a system where the government tells you what you can do and what you can produce and how much you can have. And so now what we're doing is we're moving away from uh, a, a, a capitalistic system where you have freedom <coughs> to tyranny. And so once you fill that void with the state, now you're going to have socialism. Socialism can only place capitalism with the state telling you what you can do. Now, I'll be honest, I'm a capitalist. I love capitalism. I like the idea that I can make as much money as I possibly can. But I don't have, also don't have a problem with, with failing. I'm okay with that. As long as I'm not alone to fail or be successful. But what happens now is the government steps in and, and, and that's no longer the rule. You can't be successful. And failing is written into the, into the script because now the government's in charge. So what we really need to do if we want to get back to the basics is we've got to turn back to the covenant and put God back in charge. And people have to stand up to do that. A lot of people are, but a lot more people need to be. And this is kind of snowballed into this effect. So history is so important. So we need to look back at our history to see what we can learn. We can learn socialism doesn't work. The Pilgrim showed us that. Capitalism does work, but it doesn't work unless you practice the number one commandment. The number one commandment is love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. Now, <clears throat> I'm a capitalist, and I love that, but if I don't love you, I will take advantage of you. Capitalists are not. And what's happening today is people who claim to be capitalists, the companies, are misbehaving. Mm -hmm. And they're not behaving like, or they're not loving one another. They're taking advantage of one another, which gives people like Bernie Sanders a chance to open the door and say, do socialism, I'll take care of you. Look how the capitalists are behaving. So we're our own worst enemy until we come back and start behaving as a Yeah, I think that is that is very, very true. Um, so aside from, from that, is there anything specific that we could learn from the pilgrims uh, and how they set things, set things up themselves. Yeah, again, you can learn from the pilgrims by, by the uh, idea of setting up a civil government uh, with the people in charge, and that's kind of very important. Now, if when you were electing your officials, uh, Governor William Bradford, the governor of Plymouth, for example, if he broke the same law I broke, we'd both get the same punishment. But not with King James. He was above the law. He didn't have to follow the law. He could do anything he wanted to because... He had a tyrannical reach on what was going on. So here, we all were the same under the law. But because of that covenant, the commitment of these people was breathtaking. And you have 102 people coming on the Mayflower. 51 died the first winter. Half the population. 
The Niner City has lost half the population, and it's coming time for the spring where Captain Jones, the captain of the Mayflower, is getting ready to go back to England. And and he he uh, he turned to, to the people and said, the 51 remaining people said, I want you back on my ship. I'm taking you home. I can't leave you here. Not one got back on. Because they were so committed to that covenant in starting a new society with God and God. Now, look, 18 married women came on the Mayflower. 14 died the first winter. And what happened was we had two ships when we originally came. We had the Mayflower and uh, the Speedwell. The Pilgrims owned the Speedwell. They leased the Mayflower. Well, the Speedwell picked up ends up in Holland, brought them to England, met the Mayflower, and came over. When they left England, the Speedwell leaked twice. They had to sell it for half what they paid for it, lost their investment. 20 of the original passengers had to stay behind, and they left late. When they made it on the tip of Cape Cod, they had run out of food. The men looked around the Cape, found a stash of corn buried in the ground by the Indians, and they took it. They did not steal the corn, they borrowed it. They paid it back later. Had they not taken the corn, they never would have survived. Because you see, by the end of that first winter, they were doling out a quarter pound of cornbread per person per day to survive on. So as you can well imagine, the mothers took their bread and fed their children. They covered their children with their own bodies to keep them warm. Again, of the 18 married women, 14 died sacrificing themselves to the next generation, knowing if they did not survive, we would not survive. And written on the back of the statue here called the Pilgrim Mother, it says, they brought their families in a sturdy virtue and a living faith in God without which nations perish. Mother women were making that tough decision, and the men were making another one. Whole body would have survived. They call that starving time. But it comes in different degrees. You've got 102 people, 51, get back on the boat. Not one got back on the boat. Because in mind, when we had to abandon the speedwell, the speedwell leaked twice, and the pilgrims abandoned. That's why I'm over here. 20 of the original passengers had to stay behind. So the question is how you pick 20 people to stay behind. I didn't have to, 20 volunteers. Those first two starts were very rough. 20 had no problem staying behind. One of them was not William Bradford. When that event took place, William Bradford said this, like Gideon's army, the Lord brought us too many for the task at hand and cut our number down and he got on the boat. In other words, he was saying, if you're not committed, stay home. And at the end of that first season, those 51 pilgrims all stayed. But what about the 20 that didn't? They didn't have the commitment to that covenant that those 51 did. They had it enough to get on the boat originally, but not to follow through. They had it more than the people that never came. Because sometimes when we look at the covenant, look at it to Greece, <clears throat> and who are the committed people that are going to make that covenant work? And that's where we are today. You want to claim to be a Christian? You want to claim to be committed? Let's see how much you're going to be committed. Because it's going to get hard. Mm -hmm. The question is going to be yeah. right. And so we need to know who is going to be committed and who isn't. And as we look around our situation, more people can scratch their head and say, you know what? I need to be more committed than I've been because we're going to lose everything we have if we don't get more committed and bring everybody back to a, to a covenant with God. And this was so important for the pilgrims. People in saying history, oh, they were insignificant. 51 people. Oh, no, they weren't. 51 people started the country we have. So if anybody comes up to you and says, not, or, or someone comes up to me and says, what can I do? I'm only one person. 51 people started our country 
you can do something. You can stand up, stand together, and push back. And that's where we need to be right now. We can learn so many lessons from the pilgrims. This time, if he's treated with the Indians that lasted 55 years, we treated them as equals. Yeah. How does that happen? It happens because John Roman, in their passage, reading the Old Testament, comes across a little passage called the Dominion Tata. We're to take dominion over the earth, over the animals, birds, fish, things that creep and crawl. But he also read this, not each other. See, he read, we're all made in the image of God. Well, his thinking was, if we're all made in the image of God, then no human being has a right to be above another human being without their consent. And that means the Indians, that we treated them as equals. We can learn so much from the people. It, it seems like it was about love and respect so much. How to treat one another. Tribalism, look, I'm 100% Irish. I have part of it when I was identity. But my first identity is being an American. I'm an American first. I see you have my Irish identity. That's great. I bring it with me. But I'm American first. Not tribalism. We're Americans. And we love one another and we pull together. And the differences we put aside. And what do we have in common? And what we have in common with the pilgrims is that prayer that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we're all made in the image of God. If you can't stop there, there's nowhere to stop. Yeah, yeah. And that love and respect kind of needs to needs to come back because we seem to have no respect for each other now and and love seems to be lacking so much in society. It's it's all about it's all about what can what's best for me instead of what's best for other people or what is God telling me to do, which, which is what the pilgrims, how the pilgrims went. So I'm um, a great, great way to tie that in there. Um, and when they set up the foundation and guidelines for America, uh, the De- declaration of independence, can you explain a little bit more about what this declaration was? Well, yeah, not got the pilgrims and uh, they passed this, Biblical law situation, civil government to the founding fathers, who wrote the Constitution and Declaration of Independence. <clears throat> now keep in mind, we never wanted to leave England. We, we were English, and we wanted to keep our English identity. Uh, so what they did is they wrote this document, the Declaration of Independence, with 27 grievances they had against the king. Now, everybody thinks it was just taxation. That was part of it. But there were 27 grievances against the king. And they presented it to the king and said, look, address these things. We don't want to go anywhere. Address these things and we can fix this. But he wouldn't. He became a tyrant. And he said, you're going to do things the way I tell you to do. uh, And we're not going to change. Well, they said, no, you know, we're not. We'll give you the grievances. If you don't fix them, we are going to leave. We are going to become an independent nation. Declaration of Independence. And a lot of people say, well, it's not a, a religious document. And Thomas Jefferson is the main writer of it. And, you know, he, we have certain inalienable rights from God in the Declaration of Independence. And so they took those rights from God and presented it to the king. And the king was behaving as a tyrant and removing himself. In essence, he unkinged himself because he wasn't following his own law. And so just despite the fact that we want to stay English, we were not willing to give up our freedoms to do that. And that's the same thing today. We should not be willing to give up our freedoms to the state so that they can behave. It's tyrannical and it's unconstitutional and it's 
not lawful. And so we have to look at that and say, we've got to do what the people that wrote the Declaration of Independence do, and we've got to declare we're not doing this anymore because you're not following the law that you wrote. And, and so that's what's happening. And so, so again, that principle from the comes right up through the founding fathers where we stand strong on on biblical law and a biblical founding of our country. Now, people say to me, well, the people that wrote the Declaration of Independence, some of them were deists. Well, what's a deist? A deist is someone that believes God's up there just being God, but he doesn't bother with us. He's just God up in there. And, and they say, Jefferson is a deist. Well, how could he be a deist if he wrote, we have certain inalienable rights from God? Mm-hmm. He can't be a deist. That's how he thinks God's working in our lives. Benjamin Franklin was a deist, I'm told. But, and the Constitutional Convention was breaking down. They weren't writing the Constitution. He's the oldest guy there. He stands up, he dresses George Washington. He says, uh, if a sparrow can't fall to the ground without God's notice, who do we think we are that we can start a country without God's help? I want a prayer before every session of Congress of the Constitutional Convention. Within two weeks, the Constitution was written. And they called him a deist. See, we kind of tweak history to make it fit our narrative. He wasn't a deist. He was brilliant. And that was a time to explore. We're just coming off the Reformation. People are having questions. That's good. I don't want somebody to say they're a Christian without questioning it first. Look into it. And that's what they did. But the conclusions they came to were that this is, we have a Christian nation. And we have to follow the law of Christ. Or we're not going to have a nation. Yeah, and I think we see a lot of that with uh, even the what's going on with Supreme Court justices right now in terms of their their houses, the riots outside their houses and stuff. And I think that's that's a lot of of exactly what you're talking about happening right there in front of us. That's exactly right. Now you have the rule of law, and and so we're going to bully the Supreme Court justices into making a decision because they're. They're getting pushed around and getting bullied. You know, on the other hand, too, we have three branches of government, executive, congressional, and the, and the judicial. And that's for a reason. That's because we have to separate the powers because we're all human beings. And humans are going to have a tendency to want to take all the power. But if we have three separate branches of power that are always checking on one another, then we keep everybody honest. But once we remove that and what is the judicial thing is to judge the law, not to make the law. Congress is doing They shouldn't be doing that. And Congress is sure we're going to have a strong nation. But once you break it down, and then again, you're going to have one entity running everything. And we can't allow that to happen. But what we're doing now, today, because things is, because the law doesn't matter anymore, you can break the law at will. It doesn't matter. You can burn down a city. You can do whatever you want. Then there's no way to stop people from attacking the Supreme Court justices' homes. There's no way to bring people back because we're not supporting the law. And a lot of people in law don't care about the law. They're not upholding it. Our attorney generals are not doing their job of upholding the law. No, they're not. Anything else. That's too bad. Nobody ever should have said, we love Supreme Court justices like those completely off the law. Never should have. Yeah, and then you have Biden coming out saying that he doesn't have a stance on on what's happening. And it's like, how can you not have a stance? It's clearly against the law, what's going on, and goes against the foundations that were set up. 
when you set up America. Yeah, it's not a feeling. It's not, oh, I don't have a, 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 a five up. It's not a feeling. It's a law. Yeah. Here it is, just like the pilgrims wrote it down, just like the Constitution wrote it down, here it is, follow the law. If you don't like it, change it. But right now, that's the law. Follow it. And, and when the president becomes president, he has to swear an oath that he'll follow the Constitution. Other than that, he's unconstitutional. He's breaking the law. Our president is breaking the law. He's unconstitutional. Uh, and there's really uh, solid reasons for him to be impeached because his number one thing is to follow the Constitution and to protect our country. He's not doing his job. But he's getting away with it. Yeah. Nobody in law is enforcing anything. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's basically forfeit his his right to be president by not upholding his oath. If if a police commissioner were to do this the kind of things that he's been doing and letting happen, they wouldn't be police commissioner for very long. They would be removed. And it's the same sort of situation with, with the president. So it's to me, he should be he should be stepping down and letting letting somebody else take over and not Kamala Harris because she obviously hasn't been upholding it either. <laughs> so we're in a bad place right yeah. now because it's not being supported. And, uh, and it's, it's very difficult. And, and if I were to speak up or you were to speak up around the wrong people, then we'd be breaking the law because now the people in charge are telling you what you can say and what you can't say. And if you say something like I'm saying now, that's against the law because they don't like what I say. Uh, so uh, I could end up in jail. For example, January 6th, a lot of people that were involved in January 6th are still in prison and they haven't come, to, they haven't had a day in court. And they're still, because the law's not the same for everybody, because there's a certain group running things and certain laws are good for them, but not good for anybody else. And so now you have a class, now you've got tribalism again, and you've got the, the leaders wealthy doing whatever they want and suppressing the middle class and the poor. And, it's not surprising. It's been throughout all of history. This has happened. But yeah. we have to pay attention. That's why we need to know our history. We need to pay attention so this can't happen again. And a lot of people have to get their heads out of the sand and get back in the game. Yeah, because otherwise you end up seeing society just collapse and fall apart and the whole nation ends up going under. We've seen that time and again, time again yeah. throughout history Dude. where it just broke down. I mean, the Romans, look at them. They ended up breaking apart and tearing each other apart. Same with the Greek empire. And you see it, Bab the Babylonians in the Bible, like it just time and time again, this has happened throughout history. Yeah. And we need to really take note of that. And, and I think, I think we're ignoring it. Yeah. All great empires have not been destroyed from an outside force. They've been destroyed from an inside force. Yeah. They, they destroyed themselves. And that's where we are today. We're being attacked inside in our own country, and that will bring us down faster than any external uh, evil there is. What's going on in our country is evil, and it's a fight between good and evil. The secular worldview and the biblical worldview, and they're clashing. Yeah, and, and there's no bridging that gap right now, and God's the only one who could bridge that gap, and one side's not willing to even talk about God or consider God in anything as a result, there's no bridging the gap. And so we just see it splintering more and more apart. And uh, I think that's a major problem. And I think it's an insult to, to what 
America was formed on and, and, and the pilgrims and, and the work that they put in. Uh, yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> no doubt. But, but it's not, it's not difficult. It's right there. The blueprint's right there. All we have to do is revisit it and bring it back. And, and now we're in a place where it's going to be a, a difficult fight. And, and whoever stands up is going to be putting themselves at risk. But it's time to do that. Yeah. Well, and that's why I put my, my videos on so many different platforms is because uh, YouTube has a tendency to take things down if they disagree with things. So yeah. <laughs> I, had, I already had, I already had an interview taken down, but I put it on so many other places that it's backed up. So rumble and bit don't, don't do the same thing. And so that's always a, a good alternative. If people are looking for somewhere else to watch videos and, and stuff like that is yeah. look on there. Those places have come up and, uh, I want to thank you for best you can. So I do appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. Well, and I think this is, this is important to have these kind of conversations and, and discussions because it's, it's something people need to hear and, and recognize that, you know, history, history doesn't, doesn't lie. We make the lies out of history. <laughs> that was right. That was right. Yeah. So if people want to find, find your, um, the book as well as the interpretive center, where do they find that online? We do have a website, um, <clears throat> the Jenny Interpreter Center or the Jenny House Museum. If you put that in, it'll come to our website. It's the Jenny.org is what it is. So I'll put that, I'll put it in the description so that people can, can just click on it if they want, and then they can check out um, as well. I'm assuming through your website, they can book tours and stuff like that with you guys. So, yeah, I was just saying, thank you for, uh, coming on really, really appreciate uh, all the information that that you've given us i think it's very very important for us to learn from from history and and from those that have come before us i think it's it's extremely important and and uh you've provided us with great information it's my pleasure and i agree with you so uh, thank you for having us uh, if you want to ever need us back again don't hesitate to call but please keep up the good work Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And uh, people should check you out for sure. Thank you. Well, I have just been uh, blessed with so many people who are requesting to be on the show. And I'm impressed with how many people want to share their testimonies or what they're doing uh, for the Lord right now. Uh, If I haven't got back to you, I promise I will get back to you. Uh, I look forward to to speaking with each of you and interviewing you. And... uh, Keep tuning into the show. There's there's lots of of new people that are coming on here, and if you're considering uh, wanting to to come on the show, uh, just shoot me an email at tpeters745 at gmail.com, and uh, I will get back to you.